Flatiron School is an international boot camp for software engineering, data science, and design that changes lives through education. One of our strengths is our focus on teacher quality. Flatiron's educational development team has experts in both pedagogy and content knowledge who work with our teachers to ensure our students receive the best educational experiences possible. This is the podcast of the educational development team. Hi folks, this is Sean. I'm the Director of Educational Development at Flatiron School. And I have another special guest today, someone who has thought a lot about a topic that I've actually spoken about in our podcast before. This topic is spaced repetition. And I'll let him introduce himself and then we'll kind of get into things. Hi everyone, I'm Brian. I run the academics department here at Flatiron. My background is almost entirely education and sort of educational product design. So many years ago, over a decade, I was a teacher, taught in the Harlem Children's Zone for a number of years. I worked as an educational researcher for a period of time, I think it was like three or four years with a professor at Columbia. And then since then, I've been building a bunch of ed tech startups that probably nobody's ever heard of. I built sort of educational quiz games to try to increase engagement, digital textbooks. I've worked at another boot camp similar to this. And then actually probably most germane to the conversation, I built a LMS that was sort of uh, the foundation of which was space repetition. So it was the whole learning system was built on just an algorithm that would make predictions on when you would forget. And then uh, I came here. And one of the things that I really love about you is that you're constantly learning. You're really interested in learning. And it's not my ravishing good looks. <laughs> and what you've done is you've created a system where not only do you try to learn, but you've actually tried to optimize the learning. Yeah. So this just all comes out of personal interest. Everything that I've done, I've tried to just has been a reflection of something that I've been interested in. Uh, it's, it's hard to do the work if you're not. And so I would say over the last, I looked at the data this morning, 80 months, so that's almost seven years, I've done 40,000 reviews of information, which I guess it qualifies me for some sort of obsessive disorder. But I, I think or also, metal, maybe. yeah, I wouldn't do it if it wasn't valuable, which I think <laughs> that's what we're getting into. You know, it's like you're making a five minute trade per day to have a pretty strong recall of most of the things that you've interacted with in the past, which I think is a good trade. Nice. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about spaced repetition today. I think the first thing to do is to define terms. Mm -hmm. Do you want to just take that? Yeah. I think it's actually probably easiest if let's take a step back, right? Like, why do we, why do we need this? Like, what is it? What do we need it for? Sure. You know, the first thing to just kind of lay out in the open here is that we just forget and we forget a lot. 70% of what you and I talk about here most listeners will have forgotten about by the end of the day and for sure by the end of the week. Mm -hmm. And so we combat forgetting in a lot of ways, right? We re-listen or we redo things, we take notes. But one of the things that the research has shown, and I actually think you, know, you and I have talked about this a lot, is that just doing a basic recall exercise will drastically increase your ability to recall it, right? Practice makes perfect. The information that I saw was like, you know, if you do a single recall exercise, you're 5x more likely to remember it in like, I think it was like three or four days. The numbers don't matter. What matters is the fact that you actually put somebody in a position where they recall it. The irony I've always found is that the tests are a better tool to en enable learning than sometimes the lectures. Mm. So you take this general concept of like, okay, I need to recall information. Well, what's the simplest way of doing that? Most people use flashcards, 
right? Like when you were in school and you were studying for a biology test or something like that, you would use them to maybe memorize the bones of the body or, you know, Spanish vocabulary words, right? You'd put Mm -hmm. just basic facts on there. And I think one of the main things about that is that it's really good for recalling information, right? For studying for a specific test, but it doesn't scale, right? If you've got a hundred or 500 flashcards or like me, close to 10,000, you can't study every single one of those every day. Mm-hmm. So the space repetition systems, they're, they're essentially algorithms and they're very simple actually. And they were built to tell you sort of which of those 500, 5,000, however many flashcards you have, you should study today, mm-hmm. right? If I'm asking you to review something that you already know, I'm wasting your time. So we should spend our time reviewing the things that we're either about to forget mm-hmm. or highly likely to forget or having trouble with. Otherwise, like we're just wasting time. Right. What space repetition is, is a, a general system that says of all the information that you've seen and all that you've logged, we think you're likely to forget this information and we think you should review it today. Typically, that's done through a flashcard. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I've been thinking as you've been speaking that it ties into some of the educate. Well, obviously it ties into the educational theory, <laughs> is educational theory, but other things that I've spoken about, like the zone of proximal development, yeah. that's the, the zone of learning right outside of your scope of current understanding and knowledge. And it strikes me that that sort of applies here too, that as you start moving into a space repetition system, what you're trying to do is reinforce things that are like falling into the zone of proximal development. And and if you think about it a different way, right, it forgetting basically means that your zone of proximal development is constantly collapsing. Right. Like, (laughs) right. Right. If you don't work at remembering the base concepts, then it's going to be harder to stretch outside of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I actually it's never true. thought about that until now. <laughs> it, I don't. It, it's not a perfect connection, but it, it just it feels like so many of these things tie together. You were talking about retrieval and the importance of building memory through retrieval, and one of the things that I found really fascinating about memory is that the longer you go between episodes of retrieval, the better the memory will be formed. Yeah, there's some interesting quibbles about whether it's actually better to forget or not. I don't think anybody knows. Debates like that are usually fighting for like the last couple percent of improvement. But the the general theory, the general practice goes that the best time to review or recall a piece of information is when you're about to forget. It sort of, you know, forces the brain to go, oh, this is still important. I better, I better, you know, devote some resources, some, some myelin around those neurons to make sure I remember it. Um, and then, I mean, I look at it mostly from the other perspective, though. Like, if I can already readily recall it, I'm just wasting time. I'd rather be intaking new information or, or watching Lord of the Rings or something like that. <laughs> I had a feeling we'd get a Lord of the Rings plug-in. Oh, I'm going to make another Gandalf reference for sure. Okay, fair. That's fair. <laughs> One of the more valuable things that I've, I've found from the process is, you know, you go, okay, well, what's the, what's the real point of being able to remember, you know, different things for long periods of time, mm-hmm. especially if you look at it as most people do as flashcards, like, do I really need to remember, you know, where the hippocampus or the ponds or the ulnar is, right? And I think, you know, there's, there's sort of two scopes in order to look at space repetition. The first is sort of in the short term where I need to pass some test or in case of our students, I'm trying to learn how to code or learn data science. And the value in the short term is that it really 
builds a solid base of knowledge, right? Like if you think of learning a skill as like building a pyramid where you have the foundations and then you have the, the syntax of code and then the semantics and then the pragmatics of actually solving problems. If your syntax is weak, it's going to be a lot harder to start solving problems, right? Like if you can't remember the difference between inspect and find or dot inspect and dot and find, right? You're going to lose a lot of time, you know, when you're writing your methods. And so one of the values that I found is just like, as I read through our curriculum, as I read through our things, I'm trying to teach myself, I'm grabbing these topics and putting them into the space repetition system. And just the reviewing of those basic facts means that when I hit the lab, when I hit the project, it's relatively strong in my mind and I can usually get through pretty quick. And I found that to be a case of just about everything that I've learned is that if you have some sort of short-term goal, something in the short term that you're trying to learn, reviewing it through a system like this really allows you, it's slower at first, but it really allows you to move faster as you go. So every week that you do it, you build a more solid and solid foundation and you can build upon that faster. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. I mean, they, you need the building blocks to do something more productive. And actually, you, you've you spoken about the term hake that you like. So that would be long-term, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that that I've enjoyed speaking with you about is that this is not, the spaced repetition is not specifically for facts. It's nope. for facts and concepts, and that actually the concepts are the most important part of this. And so can you just give the whole acronym for HAKE, but also just why you think that's important? So the fundamental piece of space repetition is that it's telling you to do something at some time, right? It's, it's what you want to recall or redo when. It's essentially a scheduling mechanism. And I think a lot of people, when they first start using it, get caught up into the fact that it's, oh, it's flashcards, so I can only put basic facts in there. Mm -hmm. I think the system becomes much more and vastly more interesting whenever you start moving beyond facts. So for instance, if I move from who was the first president of the United States to why was George Washington the first president of the United States, mm -hmm. I'm already just in a vastly more interesting like world of information, sure. right? like leading the Continental Army didn't hurt, being the tallest guy in the room, being a large landowner from Virginia, which is one of the more powerful colonies at the time. All of these things sort of spin around in there. But w what the why does is it, it gets me away from basic facts. It gets me to sort of like underlying mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And once I've sort of solidified those underlying mechanisms, then I can transfer it into other places, right? Like the fact that he was from Virginia. And then when I start reading that, you know, most, I think the majority of like the first five or six presidents up until Jackson were all from Boston or Virginia, right? And maybe you start looking at early laws and you're seeing like, wow, a lot of them were, were passed in the favor of Virginia. Well, that underlying fact, that why, that concept that has, it has broader applicability than just knowing the basic facts of who. And so when I mentioned Hake to you, it's H-A-I-K. It's just a reminder to me that some of the more valuable knowledge is highly abstract, H-A, and then inferential knowledge, so I-K. And so when you combine it, you get H-A-I-K, or Hake. And one of the ways I remember that is I, I picture a karate guy <laughs> slamming through a board. So I use a mnemonic to, to remember it. And essentially, like, what that is is, like, let's break it down, right? So you have the abstract concepts. And we're moving pretty quickly into the deep end here. But... Uh, you know, highly abstract means that I can apply this knowledge to multiple differences or disciplines, right? Um, and then inferential means that I can use it to derive other knowledge. So if I have a piece of information that I can apply in a, or rules that I can apply in a lot of places and derive new knowledge from, that's vastly more valuable to me than just facts. 
right? And so if we go back to the basics of what space repetition is, right, it's telling me what to do when. Well, the most valuable what that I can review are these abstract concepts, are these like inferential systems of knowledge. And so an example of that would be, you know, something that's inferential knowledge, like what is that, right? Well, you know, you could remember the fact that wheat contains 340 calories per 100 grams, right? But I can look that up. Uh, and until somebody takes it down, you know, Google's usually a pretty good resource for that. What's more abstract and probably more valuable to me is just to know that in general, cereals contain around 350 calories per 100 grams. I can remember that is generally true for everything, mm -hmm. right? Another example would be like, I don't need to know how many terms each president served. I know the general rule that they can only serve two. And so I can always assume that it's eight years or less, except for, you know, those Roosevelt's always messing up my, <laughs> my examples. But even that is a good example, right? The thing about inferential knowledge is that there's always gaps. There's always some place where it's wrong, mm -hmm. right? And I think like if you talk to Christine, she'll tell you all data models are wrong. Some of them are just useful. What you're looking for are these sort of abstract concepts that you can apply broadly, these pieces of inferential knowledge that you can use to derive other knowledge. Mm -hmm. But that usually comes after you have a good, solid foundation in the facts. Yeah, well, you have to build up to that. And one of the things that I find interesting about this is that, in a way, you're turning the concepts into facts. So there are <laughs> yeah. things that are memorable <laughs> that, you know, you want to be able to do something with them. But in order to do something with them, you have to remember them. They have to come easily to you. And so, therefore, you're practicing that through the space repetition system. Right, which gets into the long-term value of what I said. So, like, the real world is very different than, like, a classroom, right? Like, on the class... I have a reasonable expectation of what this test is going to show me. The real world throws random problems at you all the time, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, I can remember the basic facts to pass a test, but the problems that come my way, I need general principles for to solve, right? Because I may have solved it in one area and it's slightly different over here. So for instance, a great example is just what we said earlier, that recall helps with, you know, the solidification of knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. That's just a general principle. That's abstract. Mm -hmm. But everywhere I go, I take that principle and I reapply it. Mm. So as I came into Flatiron, I didn't say, okay, let me spend four years and four and a half million dollars like I did before rebuilding a space repetition system. Mm -hmm. I said, where can I implement recall exercises? Mm -hmm. How can I do it? Right? Well, you see us implementing quiz questions. That's just one way. Second is the labs, right? You and I talk about, okay, can we actually sprinkle some of these things so the teachers are asking the students directly? Mm -hmm. It's the recall that's valuable. It's not necessarily the schedule. I mean, based on the data that I generated, we saw that for most things, if you review something three times in three weeks, it'll be pretty solid. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to go back to just, you know, the real world applications, like we said before, the world is constantly presenting you with somewhat random problems. And your ability to recognize and identify that problem and then pull from memory a general principle that you can use to resolve it, that's like halfway there, right? The rest is just like making sure that you're not misreading it and, you know, doing the execution. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's sort of one of the long-term values that I've found in, in using Space Repetition System is that it keeps all of these principles and use cases and like findings from case studies top of mind. So that when something comes my way, I not only recognize it, but I have a sense of how to begin resolving it. Yeah, you sort of built that 
map of knowledge. I often identify with the, like the janitors that are carrying around big rings of keys, right? Like I see these problems and I'm like, I think I have, I think I have a card that, that's about that. Let me, let me, and I like, I look it up and I'm like, oh yeah, I think I can solve this with this, right? Yeah. That's why I get like really excited about some projects because I'm like, oh, I want to try to apply this principle that I've saved or this concept that I've saved to this problem and see if it actually works. Well, and you had an example of that that you had a concept that you had learned and yeah. put into your system that you then came back to at some point and it was perfectly timed with this problem that you were trying to solve and you took a whole different direction at the problem. Yeah, so it's actually fascinating like when and where something that you've read or something that you've come across will, will be useful again. I think there was a point, I don't know, it was a while ago, it was like eight, nine years ago, where I just became like kind of fascinated with like World War One, World War Two, and then like you just follow that interest and you end up in like military strategy and things like that. And I grabbed, I actually have the card here. I grabbed this one clip. I can't even remember what it was from, but it was basically about crafting military strategy. And it said the first step in crafting a strategy is to define the map in a way that allows the strategist to think about things in terms of unity of forces rather than separation and unity of support rather than division, right? It's like, how do you, like, how do you think about all your regional relationships in an integrated strategy? How do you get all of your teams working together? And at the time I was, I was, you know, CEO of a company that wasn't doing very well at that time. And I came across this card. And one of the things that made me realize is that I had everybody working on different problems that they all weren't focused on the same thing. And I wasn't thinking about how can I get everybody to tie into the same thing, right? My sales team was focused on sort of, you know, revenue numbers. My account management team was focused on happiness of customers. My engineering team was focused on building out features. And when I read this card, I sort of had a aha moment of like, oh, I've got everybody all over the place. Well, what does this company look like if I tried to follow this strategy? And then I, I you know, it didn't solve it right away, mm -hmm. but it was the key, right? I, I, I had it on my key ring. I pulled it out it, it, and it opened that door. And that's when that and a couple key hires are when things like really started to turn around. Interesting. So applying military strategy to business. Basically, like we picked a single metric. I, this is when I started learning about North Star metrics and things like that. Yeah. We picked a single metric and then we derived how every single team played into that. And then we started organizing everybody's tasks. Mm -hmm based on how it can move those numbers. And that's when all the numbers started going up. And that's when everybody started to feel like better about their work. That's really cool. Yeah. And so part of this is, I mean, this is all basic. It's all the stuff that, you know, you and I talk about all the time. This is all basic sort of educational theory, right? Being able to recall information, being able to, to recognize when you need to use a piece of information and then like getting on with the application of it, yep. right? Yep. Those are very simple things. I think people overlook how foundational memory is. Mm -hmm. and I think they, I think they also look over the fact that like how much we forget, like we forget so much that we forgot how much we forgot, right? <laughs> we think we remember more than we do just because we've forgotten how much we've forgotten. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense to anybody. And then the other thing too, is sometimes when we do recall, one of the fascinating things about doing space repetition is that you recognize how often you recall things in the incorrect way, how often like you insert something that is you into, into where it didn't exist. To give you an example, there was this researcher who I love, I think his name was Bartlett, and he came up with this idea called schematic intrusions. And what he was doing basically was he was going around to different indigenous cultures and telling them stories. And so he'd tell like, you know, Alaskan Inuits about stories about a massive lion and how the tribe had to gather to take it around. And then he would have that person retell the story to others. And 
what would happen is, is the things that they didn't already have some conception of would get lost, right? So what a lion was and looked like would drop out of their memory because they'd never seen one before. They had no context for it. They had no place for it. Mm -hmm. They would then introduce a bear or a wolf, but it would be a different kind of bear. It'd be like a great bear or a, like a, a bear with a neck beard because it's a lion, right? Uh, that would actually be really cool. Uh, <laughs> for all you graphic yeah, animators out there. Look. Yeah, Brooklyn Bear, yeah. <laughs> um, what he found was that this is actually like a feature of memory, right? You hear things, you take them in. The pieces that you don't have some relationship to, you drop out and you replace with your own thoughts. And this is sort of what the telephone game is. Mm -hmm. He basically like rediscovered the telephone game. But the th interesting thing about space repetition is, is that because you're presented with that information over and over and over again, it sort of forces you to recognize where you've dropped, right? The pieces that you've dropped yeah. and it shows you the correct one. Yeah. Well, and that can work in the other direction. Obviously you could influence someone's memory by you know, dropping in things that are not factual. Yeah, fake news. Fake news, exactly. It works. Well, because memory is formed by the act of remembering. Right. It, it's not permanent. And that, that first impression is super important, too. Mm -hmm. So if you get the fake news story out first, it's incredibly hard mm -hmm. to change people's perceptions. Mm -hmm. That's actually one of the more interesting things about the research is, like, space repetition is, is super useful, but one of the things they found that is most likely to cause a memory error is actually, like, disruptions during the encoding phase so like when you're first being introduced to something being distracted there is actually more problematic than being distracted like during the application or any recall exercise so it's super important to pay attention in lecture good reason not to multitask good yeah <laughs> a lot of students think that they can multitask and it is really not a good idea i would highly recommend turning off your chat yes <laughs> notifiers all that stuff yeah so you mentioned earlier this company that you had been working on that wasn't doing so well. At the beginning. At the beginning. Yeah, we went through a ride. And I'd love it if you could just speak about what you were trying to build because it was all about spaced repetition. Yeah. And then also just some of the things that you learned from it. You've shared some of those, but what are your takeaways? Yeah, I mean, I've been... There have been a couple of concepts that I've been pretty obsessed with for a while. I mean, and, and just in general, I've, I've been fascinated by memory. So I, I had the data on myself that this was helpful right and i had like all of the anecdotal experience that yeah this was this was super helpful for me and it, it was sort of like you know you're sitting there and you have a machine let's say you had a machine that like you were confident that you could keep large groups of people from forgetting the things that they knew that you know they could probably perform better in their work and all this stuff and you're just like okay well how do i use this right now, any entrepreneur out there is sitting there and going like, oh, you've got a solution and you're looking for a problem, which was exactly the flaw that I walked into, but I walked into it pretty fast and pretty hard. Um, so the, the company was called Hickory, and essentially it was an education, educational research firm, like very thinly disguised as an enterprise SaaS business. So essentially what we did is we took these space repetition algorithms, we spent way too much time and money beefing them up, and we built an entire learning system with that as the foundation. And so it's basically an LMS, so something like Canvas or Learn, but fundamentally every piece of it could be moved and reorganized to come back to you for mm -hmm. when we think you're likely to forget. Mm -hmm. So if you know, we tracked when you first saw a piece of information, when you first reviewed it, if you got that right or wrong, which answer you chose, then we asked you for like a self-assessment on 
like how confident are you in this information? And then mm -hmm. we looked at how long did it take you to answer? Mm -hmm. And then we would look at your response on um, that question. And we, we built it so that it would automatically shuffle or similar questions over time. And so what we actually built was a beautiful way to measure the effective of a curriculum in a classroom. But it also had pretty profound effects on like the knowledge of the people taking it. And so with this tool, we, we sold it to customer service and sales teams. We got, to, we got up to about like 35, 40 customers. And we were seeing pretty much across the board that we were able to hold groups to around 90% retention of the training information for essentially as long as they used it. I think like our longest time frame was like nine or 10 months. Those teams tend to change trainings pretty quickly. And then we were also measuring that it had like pretty drastic effects on the end performance of those groups. So the, th the reason that I liked customer service and sales teams was one, they're in front of their computers, mm -hmm. right? So we can interrupt their workflow. Two, for the large part, they're on the phone and being able to recall information from memory is super valuable to them, mm -hmm. right? You're on a sales call, you can't say, oh wait, let me Google answer to that. <laughs> let me like, look up that thing. You wanna know it. And so we would see drastic results for customer service team in reducing like first call resolution rates. And that was the main thing that we looked at, right? So like CSAT is hard to measure, right? There's like a thought, like if the person's just in a bad mood or if the, the, the representative can't help them, CSAT will go down. Mm -hmm. But being able to resolve your problem on the first go is super valuable. Mm -hmm. And also it's a great use for space repetition, right? If I can recognize what you're saying to me and say, oh, this is actually the solution. Mm -hmm. So we were great for that. And then there was one inside sales group that we had and we, after using us, they were able to like three X the number of meetings that they closed and things like that. And it's just because people could remember the script better. They could remember the nuance, mm -hmm. right? They, they could remember common customer complaints or questions and have the response ready. And so, you know, we found it was super valuable in those areas. One of the flaws in the whole model was though, is that for the most part, most businesses aren't all that concerned with how well their employees are remembering the training information, mm. right? It's like you do it once, you're kind of up to speed. We assume you'll learn on the job. Mm -hmm. So like, where's the value for a marketing team in this, right? So like inherently limited in who we could sell to. And then fundamentally, a lot of people might not be surprised to hear this, but a lot of the data inside of businesses is kind of messy. And so while our data was super clean on like this exact user, knows this information this well and they're likely to forget it on this date we had a hard time tying it to their internal numbers to actually show an roi right we had these specific cases where you know a company might have great data but for the most part a lot of companies data is just a mess mm -hmm. and they're running experiments concurrently so how do we pull out that we are doing something right but that was the basis of the, the whole idea what was cool about it is i basically got to run my own custom space repetition algorithm with my own custom design on like five or 6,000 people and force them to do it, right? Because it's their training. So I didn't have any engagement issues. And that was fascinating. Yeah. The things that we learned about how to structure content, how to structure training, just the amount of information like we think a person can ingest over a period of time, like your intake, it was fascinating. One of the things we picked up was that people were, I think it was like 35, that's Jordan, 35 or 40% more likely to recall a piece of information on the first review if there was an image associated with it in the reading. I like believe it. The, yeah. the mind loves imagery, modalities. man. Yeah. They, and so 
what we started doing is we started saying like every piece that you put in here, make an image, mm-hmm. right? Which is good for learning. But if you're the content creator, you really dislike us. <laughs> that adds a lot you of see time. The, yeah, yeah. You see the flaw. You see, that's one of the flaws with the yeah. space repetition, but you see another flaw in the business is like, oh, I got to spend extra time creating content for you. That's exactly how I want to spend my Tuesday, you know? <laughs> But the data coming off of that was fascinating if you want to dig in there. It strikes me that what you set up is such an amazing research environment. It was an amazing research environment. It was not it's such not an amazing business. profitable necessarily. Yeah that, but, yeah, that was the problem. But having that level of participation in a, not exactly a controlled study, but I mean, you were controlling the study. Uh-huh. And I don't know how far to you a went minute down. detail. I was controlling. Like we yeah. we touched everything from like how they were onboarded. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. I learned a lot. No, it's a really really great setup for that kind of thing. At least, if the business didn't succeed eventually. And I've said this to you before that I I wish I had known about this when I was working <laughs> in the school that I was in prior to Flatiron School. I would have loved to bring a system like this into the school. Yeah, I mean, we I could have. I mean, the system was able to tell you who knew what how well down to i mean almost a sentence level Mm -hmm. one of the more fascinating things that we found is we could find bad content within like 10 or 12 days i remember there was a a customer we were working with and they put out this lesson that was filled with acronyms and Mm. the the trainers were they assumed that the person the people had already been taught these acronyms and when the lesson went out, we were just seeing that not only were like initial scores really low, which is sometimes normal, right? If you have mm-hmm. difficult content, it's, it's, you know, people miss the questions a lot. But when they don't pick up over time, right? If you miss the questions the first time and then as they come back three days later, seven days later, 12 days later, you're still missing them. That almost always means bad content. Mm-hmm. We were able to pick that out and we went back to them before they really launched it out and said, hey, you know, we think people are having trouble here. And when we went to the users, they were like, oh, I just thought it was me, right? They internalized that they themselves had the issue and yeah. not that the content was bad. Yeah. But when you looked at the data, every single one of them was coming off. So like, it's fascinating Like when you're actually solving for a learning problem. The, the data that comes off of space repetition, I think, is actually like the true value. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that nobody's looking at, nobody's talking about. But that's where you could have profound changes on, on the way a classroom runs if, if you, know, you, you, you can get access to that kind of data. Yeah. Now, you, you've talked a little bit about the problems with the system, but you had the specific example of knowing a piece of knowledge really well, but not knowing how it relates to other things yeah. within, that, within its context. Can you just speak a little bit about the problems with the system? Yeah, so there's a couple layers of problems. So like the first is just sort of like building one of these for general usability by learners. It's a hard product problem because... If you take a step back, what you're essentially doing is making people redo things that they're not very good at. And nobody likes that. So right, if you get a question wrong, it means you're going to see it sooner. If you get it right, it means you're going to see it later. right? And so you're sort of forcing people to review things that they're not doing very well. And that's, that's very stressful. Mm-hmm. So designing a product that doesn't annoy the user mm-hmm. is, is a very hard problem. It took us a long time to figure that out. We ended up having like pretty good engagement metrics and we were like in like the 65, 70% range. Hmm. You know, it's an employee training tool, so that helps. (laughs) But half of them were coming back without prompting. Hmm. The second challenge with it is it's very hard to create content, right? Because the nature of memory is that you want to remember, and this is, you know, anybody who goes out and starts creating their own space repetition cards, you want to try to settle on like a single thing, right? You don't want to have to like memorize an entire poem 
you want to memorize maybe the meaning of the poem. Mm. You, you don't want to have to like memorize an entire paragraph. You want to get maybe like the gist of it. You want to focus in. Mm-hmm. That's a very hard content thing to do. Mm. Most people, most training, they just kind of want to dump a bunch of words on a slide and, and say this is a training. But to actually boil it down to the essential is very hard. And the main challenge of most of the algorithms that are out there, this is this was what sort of led me to want to build my own, is that it over-optimizes for the one-to-one remembering of facts. So like if I remember that, you know, a pero is a pero is dog. The example that actually made me realize it is during graduate school, I had to know a good deal of neuroanatomy in order to like understand what I was looking at. And so like there was a point in time where I could tell you sort of what every single region in the brain would do. And I would know that, for instance, the pons was responsible for like breathing and respiratory and heart rate and things like that. But I realized that I forgot how it interconnected with everything else. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, how does it interact with the hippocampus? And what does the super chiasmatic nucleus do with it when it's sleeping? Like, what is all this? And I couldn't remember the connections between this thing because, right, the system is constantly bringing me one thing and making me relate it to one thing. Mm-hmm. And that's just how the algorithm is set up. And you can kind of solve for this with content. So, like, what one of the things I started to do was put an extra content at the bottom where I put like a paragraph sort of explaining the context, but now I had to read a paragraph on top mm-hmm. of reviewing, which was annoying. Mm-hmm. And even if you build cards that are about content, the system over long enough periods of time might separate those out by months. And so you'll review what it does on one day and then three months later review how it interacts with the rest of the brain and you don't tie those two together. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we did to counteract that at Hickory is we sort of had like two layers of tagging. One was on like the lesson level and the other was on the topic level. And when it brought back a piece of information to you, it would bring back either from the lesson or or from the tag context related information at the same time, even if you didn't need to review it. Because what was valuable that we found was not just your ability to recall that single piece, but to be able to recall it in context with everything else that you know about it. Mm -hmm. So you keep all of those contextual webs together. We didn't get far enough along with that to know if it was actually better, but I'm pretty confident that it is. Mm-hmm. One of the struggles that we had is that it's actually hard to get a large unified data set for something like this, right? Like when you're doing training, everybody is running a different training. You know, if you're looking at Etsy versus, you know, BlackRock, it's not the same content. And the other th- problem that we had was that most trainings are too easy. We could see in the content how long would it take somebody to ingest something. 70% of it, people already kind of knew it seemed like coming in. And so the real data set we have were the hard things, which was only 30%. So we were just constantly hungry for data. Those would be some of the flaws. And I think that one-to-one is a real dangerous one because in the short term, if you're learning like a subject, like if you know our students started to do this, over 15 weeks, you won't notice it. But if you're really trying to build a base of knowledge in a subject matter and like really trying to build expertise, then you start to notice it. Then you start to go like, wait, I know what the hippocampus does, but I can't remember how it interacts with the other brain regions and things mm-hmm. like that. You've called this sort of a game against your brain, which <laughs> I, I love that <laughs> idea. And it's true. Your brain is constantly forgetting and you're trying to optimize memory. And so you really are playing a game against your brain. I'm wondering if you can go into just from your experience, you've had a lot of experience building a system, both a business and a personal system for spaced repetition. And I'm wondering if you can just talk about how someone could apply this in their own life. Well, the game against my brain, like there's a moment 
there was a moment that came to me when I realized, oh, I can't trust my own mind, right? Because it's forgetting things. It remembers things in the wrong way. It has all these biases. And I think, you know, that was sort of one of the major values of doing space repetition over such a long period of time is you just you just realize how often you misremember things. Mm-hmm. I think just there's another piece on the value. The, the, the how I use it, it, it depends on what I'm trying to do. Um, so, you know, right now um, I'm taking, you know, the online program. And so I'm, I'm putting, and this is probably most useful to the instructors. Um, and if they want my decks, they can borrow them and they can use them with their students. You know, I'm putting in, you know, the basic syntax stuff. So like, how do I interpolate a string, right? That way I don't have to look it up later. It'll just come out of my memory, mm-hmm. right? And that's just saving me a little bit of time. Right. Um, and then I'll remember like the semantics of like, okay, how do I actually craft this loop? And what is the difference between a while, a four, and an each? And when do I want to use them, right? And so now you're already starting to see like, oh, okay, this is saving me more time. Like I don't have to go look that up and relearn it when I hit the problem. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, it's, it's in there and it's strong. And then um, what I've started to do is uh, I've, I've grabbed problems. So, you know, how do I, you know, find a prime number? And mm-hmm. when the problem comes up, I'll actually sit down and like, usually in my head, because I'm trying to save time, try to write out like, not, not necessarily each step, but how I would do it, like how I would go about solving this problem. Mm-hmm. And that's just sort of like one aspect of the code. And that's like how I might think about it. So a card would literally come up and say like, why would I want to use an each versus a, a for loop or something like that? And then another one would be like, how do I, you know, tell if a number is prime? Mm-hmm. And those are two examples actually from the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And those are actually two different style of problems, right? For something short term like that, that's how I would do it. The other thing that I do is I sort of prepare myself for other areas that I'm gonna wanna go into for the future. I'm very interested in data science and the data science program, um, like just naturally. And so what I've started to do is, you know, I realize like I don't have the requisite Python and stats background that I might need in order to actually like climb that mountain. And also don't have the time right now. So what I'm doing is I picked up sort of like layman's books and layman's articles, and I'm just grabbing little pieces and it might take me a month or two to go through the book, but I make sure that I have a very solid understanding and grasp of each chapter. So I take each chapter, I break out the principles, I put them into flashcards, and I make sure that I'm very solid before I move on. And that way, like when I actually do hit the data science program, I'm relatively confident in that I understand all of the underlying mechanisms. So a new way of thinking about pre-work. <laughs> And then the other thing that I do is I, I play around a lot. So like that's if I'm just learning the basic facts of, of a piece of knowledge. But I think I'm constantly on the hunt for those abstract or those inferential concepts. And I'll just put them in there. And then as I go, often I'll, I'll break them either out into their own categories with like examples mm-hmm. that I find from other places, right? It's become almost like this recurring collection of information that I'm constantly changing, expanding, and building upon. Mm-hmm. And so I start putting everything in there from like how to handle different like social problems. Card came up this morning that was like, what's the first thing to do when someone calls you up and is complaining about something? Mm -hmm. You ask, how can I help? Mm -hmm. Because it reframes the conversation away from them complaining to actually like a solution, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like, oh, 
that's going to come in handy. <laughs> right. And that's like a small little hack. And then one of the things that I'm playing around with now that I don't know if it'll have any actual benefit is I've started taking, taking the writings of people that I admire and, and quotes and different things and started adding those into the system. And my hope for it is, is that I'll start thinking like them, that I'll start recognizing over the repetitions, you'll start recognizing the patterns of their thought hmm. and you'll start adapting those pat adopting those patterns. It's, it's, that's my hope. So, you know, there's all those kinds of things. And I think like the, the main key is to, to move away from the basic facts, right? Move from what to why move from how these things relate or what this thing is to what is the actual problem I'm solving with this, mm -hmm. right? Like even put problems in there as cards, right? Like the, how do you get a prime and then put your solution as the, the memory. So that way, like when you hit it, you can go, Oh, this is probably that. Mm -hmm. the, the thing that I would say it's a, that space repetition is probably bad for is process. If mm -hmm. you have to follow a step-by-step -step process, you're much better off just using a checklist. <laughs> mm -hmm. What it would be good for is remembering the process to use in a specific scenario. Yeah, and no, that makes sense because you're not going to put in individual cards right. with steps one through six and you're just reminded of step four. One of the more interesting tests that we ran at Hickory, and this was super popular, and I, yeah. think, I think if I had started here instead of ended here, it would have been a very different business, is... Mm. We started grabbing common social scenarios that salespeople and customer service people were hitting. So we would take the 20 or 25 most common issues, questions, whatever, and we literally built a chat bot. So a card would come up and it would say, hello, blah, 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 blah. Maybe you select your answer. Mm. And then it, it would present you with the problem. And then we would have you write from memory in a box what your solution was or what mm. your response would be mm -hmm. and then the system would then show you what the expert thought it would be mm. and then you could judge yourself and so we were training so if you were going to see this situation when you were a live rep or on a sales call 10 times in your first week let's drill you on it now right and so we were actually like training social skills we were actually or not tra we were training response skills mm -hmm. but there's no reason like that you couldn't step from there into maybe talking about like okay now that you know what to say let's practice your delivery mm -hmm. right like we've we've set this foundation of you know the correct response now let's focus on your delivery and that was that was a a very successful pilot and approach for us. Um, we just found it at the end. <laughs> That's a shame. But you, you could see, like, it's it's all about what you're doing when. Yeah. Right. Just change that what. Mm -hmm. Make that what whatever it is that you want. I did it with muffins, right? I made muffins like 35 times over the course of a year using space repetition, right? If I didn't like the way they came out, I'd give them a lower ranking. And then the next day I'd have to make them again. And then five days later, I mean, I made a shit ton of muffins, <laughs> but it works. It just tells you when to do something again. Yeah. Well, and it, it strikes me that it takes the, the way that you do space repetition for your personal life takes a lot of discipline. It's a lot of work and a lot of work. <laughs> and I just want to point out that it's not necessary to go as far down the path as you have. That no. even just the act of <laughs> sort of <laughs> reviewing self-review even if you don't have a space repetition system with, what was it, 40,000 cards? 40,000 reviews. 40, I, think, reviews. I think I've got like six or 7,000 cards. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of work. And it's Eight not, years or it, six years, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's not necessary mm -mm. to do that to that level. 
the point is, as you said, reviewing things a few times within a few weeks gets you maybe 60, 70% of the way there. It's all you need. Yeah. And I would tell anybody that's like just starting out, it's like, just put in the Spanish vocabulary. You know, my wife was in a pastry program and it was like, I was like, don't put in anything complicated. I was like, just put in like what everything's called, right? The name of that tool, right? Just mm-hmm. so like, but even that gets you a little bit of a step ahead that you don't have to ask, wait, what is that again? Like, you know. Mm-hmm. And the other nice thing about it is like, you know where to go and reference. There's probably two or three times a week where somebody will say something and I'll search my cards and show them the answer. Hmm. Beyond just being able to recall from memory exact quotes and phrases and statistics and things like that, which is is a fun party game. The real value that I've found outside of like that short term, I need to pass a test, I need to learn how to code, I need to know the names of all these tools inside of a kitchen is the ability to know where to go to begin solving a problem. Mm-hmm. Every, every problem that I've come across, you know, here in academics and curriculum it is something that I've seen before and it probably categorized in a card. And I would say I'm often going back and like searching for a keyword and finding something and going like, ah, I forgot that. Like even in the one that I just read, mm-hmm. I had forgotten about the support lines right? Because in a military battle, being able to feed your troops is very important. I had completely forgotten about that until today. And now like, I'll be thinking about how am I supporting each one of these teams, right? Like what do they need in order to resolve the problems that they're up against? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be thinking about that if that card hadn't come up and we hadn't talked about it, Mm -hmm. right? And I don't know how to categorize that value, but it's real and it's pretty cool. Yeah. At five years out, when you get something from like 30 year old version of you or you know however old you were five years ago and you can re-ingest it and use it in a different way that's a really interesting and cool feeling Mm. but i don't i don't know how to (laughs) i don't know how to build an app for that (laughs) you'll see value in five years if you work really hard (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's not exactly an easy app to download (laughs) yeah do you want to be better five years from now? Well, <laughs> <laughs> pay me two ninety nine. Yeah. So just one final thing on this before we wrap up. You mentioned that you have a personal system that you use for spaced repetition. Can you just talk a little bit about what that system is in case somebody's interested in actually doing this? Yeah, I mean, I would recommend anybody that's getting started to use Anki, A-N-K-I. It's a very rudimentary app. I think one of the things that most people start to notice as they, if they do get into the space is that there is no UI in these tools. Like people that create these things are, you know, they're usually really focused on like the algorithm, things like that. But Anki is a good basic tool to get started. There is a little bit of a learning curve in doing it. You know, there's a pain period of like 10 hours probably where you're just figuring out how the, the silly tool works. But once you do get a hang of it, it's, it's super useful and super uh, adaptable. I did end up building my own, which ended up becoming Hickory. When we sold that company, I basically moved all of my information back out and then added it back into Anki. You know, I've looked around the space. There are a lot of apps out there that sort of do this. Like I think Memrise has it and and even Duolingo Mm -hmm. uses this and they have their own flashcard app that might be great. But my personal preference is just Anki. It's almost where everybody's at. And I would actually, as an aside, you know, I know there's probably a lot of engineers listening to this. I would not recommend building your own. The algorithms are relatively simple, but one, there's no money in this space, which is why all the apps are kind of meh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like an 80-20 thing. Like Anki gets the job done. So I would, I would just recommend that. Like you can download it on your desktop now. You can, you know, go read 
a Wikipedia page and add some of the facts in and, and, and see how you recall them over the week. And if, if that's fun for you, if that's interesting, then keep going. And is that basically your note-taking system at this point, that that is where you put the things that you want to remember? Uh, that's a complicated question. <laughs> Maybe that's You just opened a Pandora's box. <laughs> I, will, I will say something. I will say it more simply. When I'm, I make a conscious effort to separate things that I know I'll want to reference and things that I want to know. Got it. I would say the one thing that I've, the one habit I've evolved over the last, I don't know how many years now, is to be very picky about what I put in that system. That's great advice. And, and to focus it down to like what is essential. Mm -hmm. Like you want to be recalling one specific thing. And so you're not trying to memorize the encyclopedia. You're trying to memorize the or remember the most important things from it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and make sure that that's drilled in because you can reference a lot. But I do think people under undervalue recall. Mm -hmm. Well, I can just look that up. Mm -hmm. Right. I think the point they might be missing is you need to know what you're looking up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like this database called the Internet can have all the information you need, but you sort of need to know how to use it and what you're looking for and be able to like correctly identify the problem and have a sense of how you're going to solve it. Right. Once I'm a reasonable engineer, I can rely on Stack Exchange. But how do I get to reasonable engineer? Mm -hmm. Right. And like there are some things that are in my head. And I would say, like, if, if you actually take a step back and say, okay, well, what are the valuable things to put in my head? Those are the things that you should be putting into Anki, and then the rest of it you can reference. Yeah. It reminds me of maybe 10 years ago, there was sort of a movement in education where people were saying, we don't need to teach kids, you know, math facts. They can, they have a calculator. They can just do it on their phone. And it's such a ridiculous idea because you have to have those things in order to do anything in right. the field. In order to type in the right things in the calculator, you need to understand the underlying concepts. Absolutely. Yeah. Or it's just meaningless. And it's useful to drill those into your head. Yeah. So spend the time. That's, yeah. that's how I view it. Brian, this is great. Thank you. And I think that people will be really fascinated with just being able to see the actual practical application of space repetition as well as the theory behind it. And I can't think of a better person to talk to than someone who actually tried to build a business around it. So this is this is great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and if anybody has any questions, just email Sean at Sean. <laughs> uh, Sean. I'm gonna just cut this part. <laughs> email Sean Sean Diddy Clark at. It's a shame that this is the thing that I can edit. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, thank you again for taking the time for this and just having such great thoughts to bring to this. It's it's really terrific. Cool. Well, thanks everyone. All right, and folks. again, any questions, Sean? At <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot for listening. Right. Take care. Bye, bro. Do you enjoy this podcast? I'd love it if you'd leave a rating or review on iTunes or SoundCloud. And of course, please recommend it to your friends. Let's just make fun of the room at the top. Like... <laughs> Good call. Yeah, yeah, we're right next to the bathroom, everyone. It's not going to help. So, uh, <laughs> there we work. We need a soundproof room in order to record a podcast. Here's one next to the bathroom and door that is all glass walls. Oh, cool. Thank that you. That should help. Thank you.